With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Talk Recorded live. We all be as honored to have on the one and only brother, Thadi Kennedy. He is here to talk to us about the special event that's going to be happening uh, this 4th of July weekend, rather, July the 1st through the 2nd and 3rd, that commemorates the 100th anniversary of the East St. Louis Race Massacre. They are going to be doing several events throughout the weekend in the East St. Louis, St. Louis area to remind the people of what happened 100 years ago in the middle of America's heartland. So how are you doing tonight, sir? I'm doing fine, my brother. Heard like to say it. Okay. Um, What's the news? Uh, Assalamu alaikum. Shalom. Hello. <laughs> I appreciate that. I'll receive all mm-hmm. Yes, sir. So I just want to talk to you about what's going on this weekend exactly and your part in all of this. Okay. Well, exactly. What's happening this weekend, July 1st, 2nd, and 3rd. Uh, let me start by saying that July 2nd marks the 100th anniversary of the East St. Louis Race War. That's what my father and uncle called it. My father actually lived through that war. He was seven years old, uh, 100 years ago. My uncles, uh, they were 17, 15, uh, 16, and 18 years of age, lived through that war as well. Uh, and my grandmother, in fact, uh, things were so things were so horrific that my grandmother and family had to build a raft out of uh, charred wood from, from burned buildings and so forth to escape across the Mississippi River to St. Louis. Now, East St. Louis and St. Louis are actually in two different states, separated by the Mississippi River. St. Louis is in Missouri. East St. Louis is in Illinois. But they're they're part of the same metropolitan area. Uh, At that time, 100 years ago, uh, East St. Louis was basically a a white city. Uh, Black people were brought in. You probably know, many of us probably know about the the migration during the, the great time, the great migrations of, of Africans, people of African descent from from the South to to the Rust Belt, to northern cities, the Midwest, Chicago, Cincinnati, St. Louis, Kansas City, Detroit, places like that for work, leaving uh, leaving sharecropper jobs in the South, uh, or in effect, leaving legalized slavery in the South at the turn of the century. Uh, uh, East St. Louis was what happened in East St. Louis in 1917 was. Actually, many consider this a part of the the, uh, the bloody summers of the turn of the century that happened in places like Springfield, Ohio, and Illinois, uh, Springfield, Illinois, uh, Chicago, Illinois, uh, oh my goodness, Louisville, Kentucky, St. Louis, and places like that. So it's certainly a part of that history that has been called the bloodiest in this nation's history. Now, we know a lot about Tulsa, Oklahoma, and the Black Wall Street and what happened there. It was probably the first city, and I believe it was the first city, bombed by its own government within the continental United States uh, for racist reasons by the air. The second we know happened with the MOVE uh, organization in the 1980s on Oak Avenue in Philadelphia. But going back, you know, that just harkens back to that time. 
during the turn of the century, uh, you know, well, 1917, uh, uh, about the time of the of the First World War, a lot of black people were coming into northern cities, uh, were coming into particularly what today we call rest belt industrial areas in the Midwest, which is how black people got to the Midwest in large number, was to uh, to come here to work in in factories and in industry, uh, shirking shirking the the yoke of oppression that happened in the South and trying to make a better life for their families here, in a word. Okay. Well, I'm glad you gave us all that background information. I think it's so important to have that information because we live in such a microwave society where people's attention spans are short. So, like, can you talk about a little bit what actually happened during the race war? I'm going to correct me. The East St. Louis race war, what actually happened? Can you give us some examples of what happened, type of forms of terrorism or whatever took place? During that time, 100 years ago. Again, I can tell you exactly. Or at least the way it was recounted to myself and my siblings by my father. Now, I'm 62 years old, and I'm the youngest of my siblings. Um, and in fact, recently I just had an older brother in the 70s who just, who just transitioned, and that's what it's But what my father and uncles were able to impart to us, what they told us, uh, not so much as just sitting down and telling us, but it came out in ways like, you know, but when you go to the door, you know, be careful how you look out the window because somebody could be standing there with a gun. You know what I'm saying? Uh, but that kind of thing. We learned, you know, we, we began to learn. It was almost as if my father, and I'm sure he did have PTSD, what they would call PTSD today. What happened, uh, to answer your question, is that uh, on Saturday, Saturday night, um, July 1st, uh, uh, marauding groups of marauding white men were coming through the black quarter of town where most where black people lived, lived in shanties and shacks near the river in East St. Louis. And they would come through there and shoot up the homes. Now, actually, this has been going on for, for some months, uh, you know, ever since black people had arrived there. There had been, you know, attacks on the street and things like that. They didn't want the black folks around there. It was the height of xenophobia. And just as an aside, I'd like to say, we're seeing that a lot today with Mexican Americans, and you know we have this man who's running this country right now that wants to build a wall. Okay, there's no way to do. Forgetting that the Treaty of Guadalupe, before the Treaty of Guadalupe, Texas, New Mexico, Arizona, and California were all a part of Mexico. But anyway, uh, this was xenophobia. You know, they didn't want to be around anybody that didn't look like them. These white folks. Uh, they would go through uh, the black community in East St. Louis and sh- at night and shoot it up. Sounds like the Klan, right? Mm-hmm. Well, on, on uh, July 1st, on July 1st, they came through, and I understand this is, this is 1917. There wasn't much in the way of street lights, maybe some street lamps here and there, some coal lanterns, things like that, because in the area that the black people lived, uh, were, it was quickly put up. They were shacks and shanties. These people wanted to work in the factories and take care of their families. Uh, white gangs came through in cars, shooting up their homes. After they left, black men gathered on the street. They decided, okay, we're not going to let this happen again. They come back through here again. We're going to shoot them up. What appeared to be the same car came through, and it probably was. They shot the car up, but this time they found, they discovered that they had killed two white police officers in that car. Now, it could have been the same car that came through just a few minutes ago, you know, well, about 30 minutes earlier. Um, what the police did was that they parked that car at City Hall, bullet riddled with blood stains all over it. Come early Sunday morning, white folks came out to church. They came out to do what they do. Uh, this riot was actually instigated 
by the police in East St. Louis back then. And they came and they saw this. Uh, word came, I believe, it was even from the police chief that he could understand if any white person wanted to get some get righteous vengeance against those colored against their colored neighbors. Well, then that actually wasn't the word that was used, but mm-hmm. um, it was at that time white mobs began to form and get angrier and angrier. Black people going back and forth to church through the same city streets in downtown East St. Louis on the streetcars, some coming from the St. Louis side of the river to go to church. You know, they had family over there and so forth. They were snatched off the streetcars, beaten, heads were severed. uh, uh, Black people were hanged from street lamps up and down to one of the major uh, downtown streets in East St. Louis called Collinsville Avenue. They were beaten, uh, as I said before, riddled with bullets, uh, you know, cut up, uh, just, you know, severe damage. And this moved on. It started that morning and just gained more and more momentum. Now you have hundreds, well, thousands of white people in the street, hundreds of bands of, of young white men, marauders, some with weapons, some, some simply armed with clubs and knives, attacking black people. When they could find no more in the downtown area, they attacked the black neighborhoods. They set fire to the homes. As black people uh, tried to flee their homes, they tried to shoot them. Many stayed in and just incinerated, you know, just, just died that way. Uh, some tried to make a break for it, and they were shot. Some even tried to swim across the mighty Mississippi River and were shot in the process. Uh, <clears throat> this started on July 2nd. However, now there had been, uh, there had been uh, conflict before in May, but this was the worst, Okay. It didn't start and end on July 2nd and continue through the 3rd and right into, into America's uh, uh, celebration for their own independence. Black people were, were wantonly attacked, uh, found, beaten, homes still torched, uh, individual black people lynched on the street. Now, at the time, this was a, a major industrial city or a major industrial town and that whole Rust Belt uh, ethic and idea. And uh, it was called a national disgrace. I mean, W.B. Du Bois wrote about it. There was a march about it in New York. Um, there, there was so much that was said about it in papers outside of St. Louis. And then the, uh, and then the, the local papers uh, printed things as well. The police even shut down, at one point, the only bridge to safety to the St. Louis side of the Mississippi River, which is why my family had to, under the cover of darkness, uh, you know, put together you know, burn pieces of wood, old doors, whatever they could find to make a to, to get to get pulled together a makeshift raft and spend hours paddling across the river to safety. Well, we know we we do know now, and it is an historical fact of of what started what was the catalyst that started that started that riot. But actually, what you know, we know we also know the truth about all of it. You know, was xenophobia, racism. And the excuse of black people coming in to take white jobs, as if, as if, uh, uh, as if uh, the the right or the privilege of having a job was a strict ownership of white men in that area. So that's that's pretty much what we know historically, and what I know uh, organically told told to us by our own family. Oh, I hope that answers your question. Oh man, you gave a great answer. I appreciate that. So, there, was anybody ever held accountable for what happened? Well, there was a trial uh, some months later, and even into some years later. Uh, black people were actually uh, 
Vicky Myers for that. Uh, and 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 uh, it, uh, had to go. Pardon me. A trial and arraigned and all that. One in particular, a black man, a black man who was a dentist, uh, worked with dentists in the area, and an activist. His name was Dr. Leroy Bundy. Uh, he was he was accused of uh, inciting inciting uh, a riot that killed his own people uh, by simply having meetings at his home uh, in ways to to better uh, the condition of black people in the area. They said that he incited the riot itself, when actually we know that the police did that. Mm-hmm. It was interesting you say that. Uh, I was thinking about, well, I was thinking about the East St. Louis race war. I'm also thinking about what happened in Elaine, Arkansas in 1919. We had black sharecroppers yeah. meeting at a black church trying to organize themselves to, you know, to the better their people. And they, you know, the white folks started shooting at the church and stopped the Elaine race war. So you have this instance where you're blaming black folks trying to better themselves that caused this type of genocide. That's true. You know, in fact, it's been said that whenever there is a, uh, Perceived, uh, perceived progression of black people in this country, mm-hmm. there's always some kind of white backlash. And I liken that into after having a, uh, a president of African descent for the past eight years. Mm-hmm. Now look where we are. You know what I'm saying? I hear, I hear what you're saying. And I also want to ask you this as well. Cause, I mean, I, know I you hope you don't write to say that on your program. Oh, no, you're free. I, don't believe in, I believe in freedom of expression. But I, I want to ask you this as well. I, I read stuff that said that babies were thrown back into burning buildings by white people? Black oh, people, yeah. was that uh, true? That, that is true. No, at least that's uh, organically, that's what we heard in that family. That's what I've heard from from survivors of the riots before they all transitioned. Uh, I got a chance to interview a few people who were still living 20 years ago while, mm-hmm. uh, while we put together our first, our first uh, up. Uh, observance of this. And, you know, the reason for doing all of this, 20 years ago, my reason was that, you know, it, it was a it was a hidden history here in St. Louis. You know, nobody mm-hmm. talked about that. Whenever there, whenever there was talk of, uh, you know, history in St. Louis or about this city, you know, the, the zoo is free. We have all these attractions. Why people love this city. They say it's a great family town. You know, we suffer the same things, uh, you know, that every other major city does. You know, homelessness, joblessness, uh, riddled with gangs, you know, all those things. Why is that happening uh, in a place that people say is, you know, one of the grateful towns to live and raise a family in? The truth of the matter is there's so much, there's so much hidden history, uh, especially now after the Ferguson uprisings. And you do know mm-hmm. that Ferguson is just a suburb of St. Louis. Well, it's, uh, I, you know, I lived in Ferguson myself. I lived in Canfield Green where Mike Brown was killed. It's uh, mm-hmm. Ferguson you know, is uh, is just a few hundred yards away from the from the St. Louis city line. <laughs> you know, yeah. uh, it's it's uh, it, it, that that part of we call those, those suburbs are predominantly black suburbs in that area that that touch the city. And uh, you know, after that, there was so much talk about healing and doing all this. And we you know if we're going to heal, uh, you know, you don't want to put a bandaid over a festering sore. You're only going to get more infection. Let's talk about the history. Let's get to the root of stuff. Let's tell the truth, and then we can begin our healing there. And for me, even before the Ferguson uprising 20 years ago, this this was to me this was the way to go. Let's talk about all this. Let's let's go together as a as a city community if we truly want to. St. Louis is a St. Louis is in the metropolitan area is is a, is a greatly divided city, deeply divided, racially divided, and class 
lives divided as well. And, um, you know, if, if, we're, if we're gonna, if we're gonna heal, if we're gonna meet together as a community of two and a half million people or whatever, let's talk about what happened here. So that was my reason for even getting started with this in the first place. Well, I want to commend you for getting started with it 20 some years ago. And I also want to ask you this, because when you're saying all this, I'm thinking about, I had a chance to go down to Selma about a couple of years ago for the 50th anniversary. And it was like a, a celebration, so to speak, among the people you had. Head of state, President Obama spoke there. All these people, celebrities, you know, everyday people, mm-hmm. people all social economic backgrounds getting together to celebrate. Uh, I guess it was mm-hmm. a bitch. I don't, I don't, it don't seem like it was a bitch to me. But anyway, uh, it was very festive. I want to ask right now, what is the mood as it pertains to this anniversary coming up? Is it a festive thing? I mean, what's going on? Has it been very receptive in the black and white communities in St. Louis region or East St. Louis? What's been the response well, from yes. the people? Okay. Well, I have to say that, you know, I haven't been approached by anyone who uh, who has been, um, personally, I have not been approached by anyone who's, who's uh, been adverse to it. Uh, when people know about it, they're, they're usually aghast. Wow, that really happened? Oh, man, for real. You know, that, that, that kind of thing. Um, there, are people, there are people who want to participate if they can. Um, <clears throat> getting, uh, it, it just became a matter of getting the news out. We've gotten a lot of attention from people outside the St. Louis area nationally, and even some, uh, and even some interest uh, internationally as well. Um, so, no, I, I haven't found anything myself except for, you know, some, uh, some positive feedback. Now, um, I, I will say that uh, 20 years ago, and, uh, well, it, it did happen this year, there, there has been, uh, I didn't get a chance to read it, but I heard on someone's social media, pardon me, um, some perceived uh, racist or, or bigoted person um, made some pretty... Um, a derogatory and insulting comments. I know that 20 years ago we received a small threat from an organization, which it was so trite to me, I don't even remember the name of the organization, but basically saying you make sure you get the story right and we will be there and blah, blah, blah. Well, no one was there but black people. And the white people there who were interested in helping, in helping to, to, get, um, uh, to educate people about this history and, and this information. Um, so, yeah, but I'd say the, the, the feedback that I've gotten has been pretty positive, yeah, so far. That's interesting that you're trying to resurrect or uncover this hidden history at a time when the country is trying to forget about certain parts of this histor- historical narrative with the Confederate Memorial Removal Movement going on. You know, you had the mayor of New Orleans, Mitch Landry, did that very fascinating speech about removing the prominent Confederate statues in New Orleans. What's your take on this mm-hmm. now? That you know, what's your, well, how you feel about this time we're living in, where people are trying to, I guess, cover up certain aspects of history, but also trying to resurrect certain narratives that have been lost. Okay, well, I can tell you this. Uh, in, in fact, coincidentally, locally here, a Confederate uh, monument was just moved. Many people didn't even know that it existed in, in mm-hmm. our largest city park, Forest Park, here. Through. Uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> Not even a lot of protests, just uh, people saying, hey, what the hell is this? you got to get rid of this. And they right. just got rid wow. of all of it today. Today, as we speak. Mm-hmm. Uh, yes, I know about what happened in New Orleans. Um, what do I think about the, uh, yes, what I think about uh, the, the movement to uh, to keep those monuments intact, you mean? 
don't keep it intact or to get them out, out of people's memory. Like, you know, this interesting thing we have in debate on history, like what you're engaging in mm-hmm. is very important as well because you're trying to resurrect something that's been lost, but that black folks have felt over generations through trauma. Like you talk about some of your relatives being traumatized oh, yeah. by that singular right. event, but it's traumatized generations. You know, uh, that's mm-hmm. probably impacted the whole region and the nation in terms of what happened those couple of days in East St. Louis, Illinois, impacted generations oh, yeah. of folks. So I, I just want to ask you what your feelings about what's going on right now, because it's like a lot of mixtures. Like it's very, I would say, conflicted and cathartic at the same time, what's going on. Mm-hmm. Because you won't, mm-hmm. how do you pay homage to the past? Also, how do you move forward? What are the solutions that should come out of this? Like, oh, what is yeah. the goal you feel that come out of the East St. Louis commemoration thing? What should be the goals that come out of this? Well, well, and I'm so glad to ask that question. Uh, we're having a three-part uh, program this weekend. One, mm-hmm. one will be, uh, well, there will be two panel discussions, and the first one will be on Saturday, where a short film by a Los Angeles filmmaker named uh, Brian Sparkman, who's here in town right now, he called me and told me when this plane landed. He'll be showing a documentary that he did. Uh, my twin brother and I are in that documentary and a number of people that we know. Uh, <clears throat> it is a sanitized one, and it, does, it speaks directly to the point. And to our, our organic point of, of you know of, of personal family history, uh, the the reason for that first day is called remembrance. Okay, mm-hmm. the the second day will be actually be the ritual when we're closing the the Eads Bridge down. It's a major bridge between uh, Illinois and Missouri. Um, mm-hmm. A bridge that was also used as an avenue of escape for many of the African refugees fleeing uh, the. Uh, fleeing the, the, the horrors in East St. Louis at that time. Uh, we'll, we'll have a ritual there where both mayors will meet. We'll be dropping um, flowers and uh, wreaths into the river, thanking our ancestors for safe passage and releasing uh, releasing lanterns uh, into the air because it'll be, it'll be pretty dark by then. This is going to start about 6 o'clock in the evening. Uh, that day, um, that day will be our ritualistic day. The third day, Monday, July, uh, July third, is is a basically where do we go from here? There will be talk of reparations. Um, what can we? What 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 is it that we can do to make sure that this kind of history, where that's his story, this kind of our story, will not be repeated? That we can pull together as a people and let's let let let's come to a consensus, sharing the same value system too determine how we want our lives to be and our children and children, children and descendants' lives to be thereafter. So that's what we hope uh, to, to come out of this. And this is just the beginning of, uh, for us, just the beginning of uh, perhaps, you know, years of dialogue, something that we, something that's very needed and something we've been wanting to do for a long time. Okay. Well, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. I was thinking about, uh, you know, this is like y'all could be the vanguard, y'all could be the spirit point of the vanguard was going on in terms of the reparations talk. Because I could recall that, you know, Dred Scott is buried right outside of Ferguson in the same cemetery as General William T. Uh, William T. Sherman. And we are just sitting in the Dred Scott. We've been denied our rightful inheritance and our rightful citizenship. Right. So y'all are more than qualified to lead this, this, this fight. But my thing is, what does reparation look like? You know, I, I really do believe that reparation is going to happen. But how it looks is another story, and how it's you know distributed is another story. What's your take on that? Well, I can I'll tell you this: I can no more see into the future as the next person. 
but I have my hopes for what I think reparations would look like. And for me, th- that would mean that would mean reciprocity. It would mean that uh, getting back what is what, what is owed to the to the descendants of those, uh, you know, for the descendants for our ancestors who who paid so much. You know, I like to say that I am my ancestors' greatest dream, <laughs> as are you, brother, and all of us. And, uh, you know, an opportunity for us to actually build our own or have our own again. Uh, reparations would, would uh, not only be monetary, but it would also be psychological. You know, there's so much today. There's so much talk today. Uh, as I said, I'm, I'm 62, so I remember a time when there wasn't a lot of, there wasn't a lot of talk or care about, uh, you know, the way people felt psychologically. In fact, PTSD was called being shell-shot. You know, mm-hmm. or shell shocked, and you know all these other things. And now, with with the understanding, um, you know, or a little more understanding of how how fragile we are, and the complexities of the of the human brain, and what happens with personality, reparations would mean that for me that uh, you know, shoot, uh, at the uh, at the hands of the corporations who actually run this country, and uh, who built their who built their wealth in the backs of, of the poor in this country, an opportunity for all of us, for every race, for everybody, to get the psychological help that we need. Black people, first of all, suffer from a, a psycho- psychological trauma and a racial memory. People say, how come black folks don't trust, trust police? Well, you know, in our racial memory, we remember our great-grandparents, and I was just born 90 years after slavery, we remember that, to talk to a police officer meant that you could be sold into slavery or sold back into slavery. You know, there was a law, there was a law uh, that that allowed uh, uh, law enforcement officials to apprehend black people and send them to the horrors of slavery. Just because it's a law, don't make it right. Don't make it ethical. You know, Uh, I'd like to see us paid back for that. And again, not just monetarily, but in so many ways, in many ways that I can't, I can't think of it right now while I'm talking to you, Brother Hurt. <laughs> I understand. It's, it's been so much to take on because it's been a generation's fight. I mean, I, I can recall I'm in Tennessee right now. And one of the people that led mm-hmm. the talk of reparations was a former enslaved black woman named Callie House. She had former enslaved yeah. black folks leading the charge for reparations. They wanted mm-hmm. the manner. It was, you know, we got that Black History Museum in D.C. because you had black Civil War veterans that wanted a museum in the nation's capital to talk about our story. So our ancestors planted those seeds. Yes, indeed. Yes, they did. You know, uh, we've done so much, and our ancestors have done so much. Even with Memorial Day started by by African Americans. Exactly. You know, <laughs> well, we, that's what we don't really know, man. I think it's very so important that what y'all are doing. My thing is like, do you have issues with some of the educators, like black educators? I mean, kids are not knowing this stuff. Like, I, I, I went to Ferguson, and I, I experienced firsthand what was going on. It was great to see your young people so passionate and so committed, but at the same time, they lack knowledge of self. It's not their fault oh. because they don't know the history happened even 50, 20 years before that. You know? How will y'all reach the kids? How, will your, how would it be to reach the children right now? What is the... You know, as a former... Mm-hmm. I'm sorry. I'm no, go ahead. You, you can answer it. Okay. Well, as a former educator, I can tell you this. I worked for years 
as a as an administrator with we call community education. I, and then we had it in Memphis too. Uh, we had uh, we would take uh, for a while anyway. We, we would mm-hmm. take uh, elementary and even some high schools, and uh, you know open them on the weekends and have them open in the evening for evening classes and you know opportunities for for uh, for neighborhood association meetings and ward meetings and so forth and you know African dance classes, uh, you know martial arts classes. Uh, millinery classes, upholstery, things like that, you know, uh, even, you know, over recreation and basketball, drama, all that kind of stuff. I can tell you, uh, <clears throat> children, you know, and it is our fault, children not knowing who they are, not knowing our history is by design, okay? You know, we live in a culture uh, that, first of all, the public schools, uh, when the, the, the idea, one of the ideas that they decided to use for public schools is that there would be a place to train the future workers and that the preparatory schools and, and the, the rich white children and uh, decidedly male who were able to go to the Ivy League schools were trained to be the captains of industry and, 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 uh, and our bosses. So we, they were taught that. We were trained to be their workers and they were taught to be our bosses. So it's all by design anyway. Mm-hmm. What we have to do, and, and, and of course, you know, notwithstanding the whole school-to-prison to pipeline, we have to learn. I, I would love to go back to the old guild teaching that the African, uh, the old guild uh, learning in, in, in Africa. In fact, I teach African, I teach African drumming, uh, mm-hmm. traditional African drumming, and it's all by guild, you know. Not, uh, not, not the classroom setting, you know, you come into my setting, I mean, you know, and I'll come to yours, you know, you have to be interested in what you do. We have to share the same value system. You have to learn what that value system is. Yes. Uh, black children don't know our history. Um, I just lost a niece, uh, the other night, um, to hear the something. She was 14 years old to file away just a couple of nights ago. And, uh, you know, going to a balloon, uh, you know, releasing and all of that. And it was just reminding, just reminded me of how far we have to go. But then I had to tell myself how far we've been and where we've come to. You know, mm-hmm. I hear black people say a lot about, well, you know, look, look, look at the Chinese, look what they did, look at how these Mexicans and they all stick together and blah, blah, blah. Well, let me tell you something. You know, no Chinese, no Mexican, no Indian from India, nobody from the Middle East. Nobody suffered what our ancestors did. And I'm talking about just like Dr. Naeem Akbar, who wrote a book that said, uh, Breaking the Chains and Images of Psychological Slavery. I mean, to turn someone into a slave, you have to make them less than human. That takes generations to do. You know, you can do it in, in five minutes, but you want to do it over generations. And they were successful at that. But look. There are people that think like you do, Brother Heard, people that think like me. We've seen people do, black people do so many amazing things and always have to the point that, it, 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 you know, we, we, we expect that. I'd say that we've done damn well under the circumstances, and I wonder if anybody else could do the same thing under those same circumstances. No, I don't think that, uh, I don't think that, that you know, the black folks are lazy, lazy and shiftless or none of those things. And if you're the kind of person that dives into that, uh, like our young people now are buying into, uh, you know, uh, a culture that rewards bad behavior, like the Real Housewives of anything you see on TV or love and hip hop, or everybody's already always got to be the B word and there always has to be some adversarial behavior. Um, that's a culture which is inherently against us, pushing to our children 
into the weak-minded adults that this is who you are, when we actually know who we are. You know what I'm saying? Um, we, 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 we can take back our own images. I think we need to hold, uh, hold those, those television and media companies and all that accountable, and even the music industry. Hold them accountable. Hold everybody accountable when it comes to us because this stuff is real to us. Just like the, the brother Tech Nine from Kansas City said, he says, I'm an artist and I'm sensitive about my shit. Well, I'm going to tell you, you know, I believe in my people and I'm very sensitive about that. I hope I answered your question in that way. <laughs> you definitely answered my question. I'm glad, I mean, you all on the front lines fighting for our people. And I was just thinking about that because I had saw a, uh, a gangland episode on St. Louis about the St. Louis gangs. And like they said, they didn't really have a gang culture like that. First, they were breakdancers. As the narrative goes, and they saw the movie Colors, a white Hollywood produced yeah. movie called Colors. I remember that movie came out. I didn't know about the Bloods and Crips. I saw Colors, you know, or the movie Scarface. Really? You know, yeah, I didn't know about you know because like the, they want to blame Tukey Williams, but he was in prison for helping his life. So what was more powerful, Tukey Williams, the gang leader from L.A., or the movie Colors that was showing all these movie theaters across the country in the inner city back <laughs> in the late eighties? No, who knew about Bloods and Crips? They were street gangs in L.A. They wasn't no national entity until the media pushed mm-hmm. them out there. I, I would like to say, I would like to say this to you, brother, and that, and, and that is to say that uh, gangs in urban settings are nothing new. And mm-hmm. I've already told you how old I am. But there were gangs when I was a child. There were gangs before I was a child. The, the, the gangs, the street gangs in Los Angeles, were generational, particularly among the Mexican population, and. Uh, in New York, you know, generations of them. Right. You know, we've had them in our families, all that. Now, they weren't all called Crips. They weren't called Bloods. We had names like the Lords and the Turks and the Termites and the Emeralds. and the. You know, I'm just talking about St. Louis Gay right now. And I'm talking about uh, a, a history that I know of for at least 70 years. I have lived and still live in the Northside community in the inner, in the inner city uh, of, of St. Louis. I've lived in the suburbs once, and that was and that's when I was married, and it was a black suburb, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, but I'm back. I'm back, and I'm black, and I love to say that. But <laughs> just gangs, <laughs> gangs like, like uh, 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 disenfranchisement, uh, gangs like black-owned businesses have, right. been, have been a part of the urban landscape in every city in the U.S., Memphis as well. But I'll say that uh, the... The the, uh, the the proliferation of the the media proliferation of gang culture mm-hmm. is what's new. They they suddenly all become the same. Each gang in each in its own place had their own different style, their own different culture, if you will. They behave right. in different ways. Uh, now <laughs> everything's you know cuz you know blood, or at least this is where it was 25 years ago. I I don't know the new jargon for all that now. Uh, you know it's a uh, it's it's just a it's just a big proliferation of that and the drive by and blah blah blah. But we have to remember who started the first drive bys and those are white gangsters driving by and shooting each other up. You know, right. in cities like Chicago, New York, and Memphis, and St. Louis, and other places like that. So, um, I find that that um, for me, the, the the whole the gang culture right now emulates it, it mainly emulates the uh, the white malevolence. I, I have to say. Uh, the you know ego, uh, misogyny, uh, sexism, uh, all those things. It's it's a it's a big proliferation of uh, of 
the, the, the wrong side of testosterone. There's nothing wrong with testosterone. But um, in, in the hands of a group of people who are the, the youngest race on the one of the youngest races on the planet, you know, uh, being a young kid bullying every every other nation around, you know, there's something wrong there, you know. So gangs ain't nothing new. They just not they often they were formed to protect the community from outside influences, often even from the police. But right now they've been co-opted, just like rap music has, just like jazz was, just like African culture was. They've been co-opted and turned around and sold back to us through cinema and music, and that becomes a problem. You know, mm-hmm. now I know I'm talking about the East St. Louis race riots, but brother, to me, all things are connected. And we can go on like this for hours. <laughs> yeah, but you know what? It, it speaks to what you said. We got to control that narrative. We got to take back our drums. We got to take up. We got to take back you. our songs. And that's what you're talking about this weekend. You, we got to take back that narrative. Cause I think a lot of times they want us to be victimized. We should be the victim. We should be resurrecting the the ways of the righteous ancestors and not focusing on mm-hmm. so much the devil, because the devil gonna be the devil. You should never be ashamed to shame the devil by taking control of your own narrative. But I think that speaks to what y'all are doing this weekend. Y'all trying to take that narrative back and, and tell it on your mm-hmm. terms and, and amplify it among right. our people. And I, I want to ask you this: like, what is the official body count from East St. Louis Race War? Like, what is the actual? Yeah. What you think is the actual body count versus the official? I guess. Okay, I, I will, I'll, I'll start by here here by saying that the. The first account I read, I think it was in Dr. Elliot Rudwick's book, was that he said uh, what was printed was 39 um, people. And then I've read other accounts where it's gone up to closer to 400. We may never know. Um, we know that the bodies are found in the Cahokia Creek area of, of East St. Louis. Uh, the bodies that were lost to the river of people who desperately tried to swim across to get, to get away from the, uh, the carnage and the violence that was happening there. Uh, we may never know that, but I'd say it's well into the hundreds. That's for sure. I believe that too. And also, have any white person confess or any descendants of the white people who actually uh, created the war? Have they come forth and offered their insights or condolences or whatever? Have that ever happened to your knowledge? Uh, well, not in any big way that I'm aware of at this time. I did hear about a uh, a man who said that his father, you know, his grandfather was a police officer in St. Louis at the time, which man lived in a rural area in southern Illinois, um, that he felt bad about what happened, but he'd heard those stories. I haven't been able to stay in touch with him. Um, I'm sorry, to get in touch with him. That's what it was. But this information was given to me, and I wasn't able to, to do that. I'd like to explore that with him further uh, to see what he knows and what, what was said to him. Um, but again, I'd like to say I, I received nothing but... I'd say very affirmative uh, feedback from from the from the movements that we're trying to make. And also, I also want to say that there are uh, two organizations right now working to get this information out about this about this particular our story or history, if you will. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's the the mayor's commission in East St. Louis. Uh, they formed a commission of people who uh, right now are having a series of events during the same weekend and have had some uh, this past winter and this spring. And then there's the organization that I had called the, the Committee for Historical Truth. We, we actually began ours in 1997. Um, we, we, we gained momentum in uh, just getting the information out. At some point, we're looking forward to being taught in 
the the public school system here. I think this is something that we all really really need to know, and you know, we'll know and appreciate uh, the traditional greatness of our ancestors, and thereby thereby see it in ourselves. So like you very qualified for this. I know mean, you told me you interviewed some of the survivors. Now they no longer with us. Probably twenty years later. But did you record them? Are you interested in writing a book about it or making a documentary yourself? Well, actually, um, and, and thank you for asking me, that, brother. People have asked me that before. It, it takes a special kind of energy to be a writer. Uh, I'm a musician um, uh, and, and not an academician, I can tell you that. Um, no, I, I did not. Uh, I, actually, I did. I had a small tape recorder with me and went committed when I asked, uh, you know, when I asked appropriately. Um, you know, a couple of them did let me take what they had to say. Forgive me, my brother, and I've had to kick myself for the rest of my life about this. But those, those small cassette tapes, that those 1997, you know, 1997 cassette tapes, I have no idea where they were. I've been through two moves since then. Wow. Um, but but their words stick in my mind, and I did take notes. I remember what they said, and they said it not only to me but to others on the committee as well. Some of what they said, um, I was able to. Uh, steer local media to them, and uh, uh, much of what they said is also in print in the archives of some of the local newspapers here, uh, but but I have nothing of my own, unfortunately. Well, the thing about it is uh, I've been there before as well with lost archival material, but you are such a natural storyteller. I mean, you know how to tell a story. I mean, I'm just listening to you talking about this stuff. You make it so plain and so accessible to people. Uh, you got a gift. So, I mean, it's, it's, you know, you got all the technology. You can figure out a way to tell the story. It could be oh, a yeah. song. I don't yeah. know. I mean, you figure out a way to do it. So I, I just, what is the well, best I, way for folks to find out more information about what's going on this weekend and ongoing uh, events? Okay. All righty. But before I tell you that, I want to tell you that I do have some tutors. I have some grandchildren who they've been tutoring me on this Android phone. So. Oh, that's good. You ain't, they're going to help you. You still got they got the apps and everything. And there's people that made a cabinet award-winning movies on their iPhone. <laughs> You know, oh yeah, I, I, I saw one. You know, uh, I, I like to tell people uh, a little over uh, a little, uh, over twenty years ago, I uh, helped. Uh, there was a uh, um, a woman named Diane Shelton had a company here called Computer Tots, mm-hmm. and when computers were 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 uh, growing in in suburban schools, uh, large suburban white schools here in the St. Louis area, the city schools were left out of that whole technology thing. Well, she made sure that. Uh, that black children in the inner city um, would would learn about computers. Now, this is over this is maybe 25 years ago or so. Uh, me being a, uh, a coordinator at the Community Education Center helped her out with that. I wanted to do the same thing and make sure the children in our community on the west side got right. that information. Um, didn't know much about computers myself. In fact, I tell people when I was in the Army, I was a tank commander, and we had a brand new, the brand new tank, the, the uh, what was it, the, it was called the M60A1 series tank. Tank had a computer in the size of two washing machines, all right? Today they're just chips, <laughs> you know? But, uh, but I got to tell you, they, um, <clears throat> uh, I, I, I thought, as she did, to make sure that our children had access to that technology. It's ironic that now those children as, as adults are teaching me how to use this new technology. That's really something. And I'm but you invested in that was like a full circle thing. You invested in our people and they're mm-hmm. not helping you. That's how I post this a village mentality. Yes. 
Yeah. That's the that's that's African that's way. That's a rite of passage. I mean, that's what we forgetting. <laughs> we forgot that we knew. Yeah. Uh huh. <laughs> so you paid it for That was brilliant what you did. <laughs> well, thank you. <laughs> but now you look out for our people that looking out for you. That's how young people, are, you know, the gangs used to help guard the older people, right? The gangs were the mm-hmm. ones who protected the, the village. At one point, right. and we were sticking in our African mindset, but now, I mean, we got to go back to who we are. That's why it's so important that you're doing what you're doing. So now these young folks that you invested in when they were little pups, they are helping you to spread this message about a story that needs to be told about our ancestors so we will never forget. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. yeah. This, is, this is God's work, what y'all are doing. This is God's work. And Thank sometimes you. people ain't going to understand it. Sometimes your own family don't understand. They think you're crazy. Well, they think I'm crazy. <laughs> but sometimes your own people don't understand that you're trying to help them. You're trying to build this art yeah. for them. It's not for mm-hmm. you. You proved it right there what you just told me. No, well, thank you so much for pointing that out. And I, I do believe that, too. I do believe that it's God's work. And this is working that way. Thank you so much. Yeah, but you, we need a right to pass you. You created a right to pass for the young folks. You know, yeah. we need that to back. We don't have that no more in our community like we should. It's not promoted. Now, we do have uh, right to passage organizations here in, in the city of St. Louis. Um, yeah, I don't mean to say, yeah, I don't mean to rob us, you're right. But I mean, I, it sounds like being oh, yeah. better known and amplified across the whole, that's what I'm talking about, with oh, not yeah. better known like it should be. Put it that way. Right. And, and I, agree we, I agree, we need our own uh, Ivy League teaching, you know, um, mm-hmm. teaching us to be the leaders of our own destiny and not to be the workers for someone else you know, or some other right. entity or some corporation, you know, that ultimately hurts us anyway. So, yes, uh, I, I, I do appreciate that. And I'm so glad that we're on the second sheet of music. I got you. Oh, yeah, it was good. Yeah. I actually went to, you know, it was, it was the interesting thing, I call it Missouri misery. I went to Wash U back oh, in the day, about almost 15 years ago I went to Wash U. Uh, I didn't well, know about You know that people here call it that, too. <laughs> Yeah, we, we call it we, we call it misery as well. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. the black the black folks that know that know because like you know it's funny we come into St. Louis off Africa side whatever you go in downtown the shiniest thing is not the arches that old courthouse but it is not Dred Scott's human rights. That mm. thing they keep preserved. They let you know what time it is. I mean you got the conservative citizen council that's their headquarters in St. Louis. That's the white citizen council. They, they headquarters. That's white supremacist headquarters right there. The Midwest. But, you know, it's so you know, I, fascinating yeah. black folks came out that area that have contributed so much to our society and to our culture. Mm-hmm. I yeah. mean, the real folk tales, I'm from St. Louis, Stagger Lee, Frankie and Johnny, these are real black folks. They are buried in St. Louis. On that. I know. My, <laughs> we think it's folk tales. My, uh, my sister was born in St. Mary's Infirmary, the, the very hospital that uh, 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 Billy Lyons was taken to after being shot and killed by the man they called Stagalee, but which was not wow. his real name. Wow. And then uh that where uh where Johnny was taken to, which was not his real name, who was shot and killed by you know, by uh Frankie. Yeah, yeah I, 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 I Alan Brindham or something like that, Alan Brindham or something. Yeah. She lived a long yeah. time. She actually sued the white folks who took her story and turned it to songs and musicals and she never won, but mm. she actually sued them. She lived well into the twentieth century. Wow, okay. Yeah, he died. I, I won't I say he died in the same asylum in Washington State, but it's a fascinating story after her life, after what happened in, I guess, 1899. I mean, it, it consumed most of yeah. her adult life. Oh, yeah, that, that was the turn of the century anyway. I lived, uh, we lived with uh, my grandfather, who was born in 1883. He died when I was in high school at 18 mm. wow. before I went in the Army. So, yeah, they, you know, um, yeah, that's, 
our history is so close, and particularly in my family, we're we're not that far removed from from what people would consider historical times. Right. And this is one of the greatest historical times I think we're living in right now. You know, I agree. I, agree I, I feel so invigorated to be in these times right now. It's, it's time to change, and we're actually seeing it right now. And I'd love take, love taking part in it. You know. And I, I so appreciate you calling me. It's <laughs> an honor, man. Like, so, like, what's the best way, like, to find out more about what you're doing and what everybody's doing concerning East St. Louis uh, race war commemoration oh, and other things? How can we keep up? Okay, or, that's right. Know, okay, you, mm-hmm. you you did ask about that. I forgot. Um, there is a progressive uh, emporium bookstore. The right now the only left standing black owned bookstore in the city of St. Louis. Um, One of the few in the country, they're, probably. They're really the yeah. I'm sorry. Well, you probably still left in the country. One of the handful is still left yeah. in the country. Oh, my goodness. I, I, I remember many of them, you know, Hidiana in New Orleans, uh, mm-hmm. EP in Chicago, uh, Hakeem's Book in Philadelphia, right. uh, the Aquarian in Los Angeles, uh, the East in, in Brooklyn, New York. I mean, there were so many, and they were, they were all, we were all connected. Uh, culturally speaking, in, uh, in, in Kansas City, and I don't remember the name of the one, in Memphis, uh, oh, it was right off Danny Thomas. I don't really remember the name of that one, but I know exactly. Uh, I used to go, play there. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, I used to play it with a band, and we would come down and play at a place uh, called Rum Boogies on Beale. I don't even know. If yeah, Rum Boogies, the Rum Boogie Cafe, still there. Yeah. Oh, it is. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. Well, that yeah that 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 was some years back, and I was with uh, uh, Yodi, uh, Young Disciples Incorporated. The, Funk United Nation, and we would go down and record the stacks back in the early 70s. You know, that was a lot of fun. We'd jump into that van on the weekends after school and just, you know, ride on down to Memphis just a four-hour drive, you know. I really fell in love with Memphis in those days. It's funny how Memphis got connections everywhere. Wow. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I I always saw the real connection between between the two cities. They both sit on the Mississippi, you know. you know, just just like that. I don't know. Are you calling out of Memphis or somewhere else in Tennessee? Oh, I'm in Memphis right now. I'm talking to you out of Memphis. Oh, oh, okay, okay, Memphis, okay. <clears throat> That's right. Name for the, the great city of Memphis and Kemet. That's right. <laughs> yeah, I mean, a lot of us don't know that. Though. We don't know how great we really are. I just like you know, the white folks that founded these town, they know who we are, but we don't know who we are. That's the thing. I ain't talking about the white folks who think they're white. I'm talking about the real white folks who said policy. And conquer lands and stuff, you know what I'm saying? To control Wall Street, those white oh, folks, yeah. they well, know they who we are. Future. They, they, yeah, they stole our, they stole our narrative, man. They stole our, our history. They stole they everything, did. but we taught them everything. I guess we gave them stuff mm-hmm. too. It's our fault too. We gave them stuff, and they use it again. Oh yeah, <laughs> we gotta take on them. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and, and all the secrets. Yeah. Uh huh. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know. Well, we, we learned a lot there. Let's hope that. What we learn prevents us from uh, having to uh, take such a fall again in the future. It's, it, it's so it's so good to know your past, you know. Oh, yeah, it definitely is. Because the past is never past, like William Faulkner said, the past is never past. <laughs> like the ancestors, the ancestors are still here. They ain't never went nowhere. That we don't understand. They still here with us. <laughs> mm-hmm. That's why we're getting these stories. Here like this it was race war. <laughs> Oh, that's true. Well, will you be here this weekend? I'm, I'm trying to see. I got some. It's, it's like you said. These are very exciting times. I'm on the fence. I might be there, and I'm there. I'm, I'm okay. definitely looking you up. I'm on the fence about it. I got right. some of the things coming up, but this 
this was so important to me that I had to promote because people need to know about this. People need to know about these stories. They do. And they affect us. I just came a couple weeks ago. I went to a place called Alamo, Tennessee. They had a a lynching ceremony commemoration for a young black man who was lynched back there in 1929. And I met his great great niece, whose uh, grandfather was his brother. And she said that that after that happened, the family had to leave Tennessee, and they went up north to, uh, I believe, Connecticut. She said that, mm-hmm. or her grand, or her daughter said that her grand, that her grandfather, her mother's father, could not look at a white woman in the eye for the rest of his life. Now that happened in 1929, and he died in 2001. So for the rest of his life, wow. because of what happened to his brother, who was accused by a white woman, they thought that the white woman accused him of raping her, but he worked for the white woman, and she was knocked unconscious, and she called his name, I believe. But she tried to mm-hmm. save his life, but it took no avail. The white man dragged him out to jail and killed him and hanged him at the age of 19. His name was Joe Boxley. They gave him two choices. They said, you could jump off this wagon and hang yourself, or we'll cut your, your penis off, castrate you. Mm-hmm. So he decided to jump mm-hmm. off the wagon, and they took pictures of it. And actually, what's was fascinating to me is the guy who organized the, the commemoration, his uncle, he's a white guy, he's a lawyer, his uncle was the sheriff of the county at the time, and he was responsible for the guy's well-being and safety in the jail cell. And then the county historian, her father owned the property at the time, and she had the only known photos of the lynching in her possession. And she shared it with us. And you know what the thing about white folks was an interest to me. Now, your uncle is the sheriff of the town. He got pictures of white men around his black body dangling like strange fruit from this tree. And yet none of y'all know who the white folks who did it. And then y'all say stuff like, oh, they dead now. It'll make a difference. Say, we should know their names for posterity. Why can't we yeah. know their names? Why are y'all afraid to, why are y'all still protecting these people that you call relatives, these monsters? Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, for decades, for, for decades, the, the Jewish Defense League looked for, uh, looked, looked for the Nazis. Who, they still looking uh, for them, right. They got folks yeah. in their 90s, mm-hmm. almost 100 years old, staying in trial. Because they wanted to forget yeah. about what happened last week. Uh-huh. That's right. <laughs> this is insanity, yeah. man. We're the only ones to, you know, well, let bygones be bygones. Yeah, we'd we be like the only ones to be doing that, you know, but that, that ain't, you know what I'm saying? Man, it's like, if you get equality, you need equity. Before you can even get Thank equality, you. we need some equity. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we're not equal at all. Yeah. No, we're not. Well, yeah, it doesn't bother me. I'm good that you're doing what you're doing in spite of, I know some black folks say, you know, let's forget about this. I know how we be sometimes, we'll be hurt. And it's too much pain, mm-hmm. but we gotta we gotta address this and make it heal properly, though. We can't keep on passing this drum along for generations. Thank you so much, brother. I appreciate that. Yes, and this is something that needs to be passed on. It's a history, or as I like to say, our story that, mm-hmm. that needs to be known, it needs to be told, and needs to be known, and needs to be as well known as um, you know George Washington and that whole cherry tree myth. And we know the right. Japanese. For the ones that gave this country the cherry tree, there wasn't no cherry tree around here. That's right. But they said Columbus the myth after myth after myth. You know, <laughs> Columbus didn't make it to the America, yeah. right? But they still got Columbus Day, right? And he discovered America. Oh, oh yeah, yeah. He was a man that thought he was in India. I, I love it. <laughs> <laughs> but then we'll say we got to stop that because we we teach our kids or children to respect folks that don't respect us, and that's a problem mm-hmm. to me. That's mm-hmm. a problem. It is. And to love our enemies, you know? 
Yeah, that's the problem. More than you love yourself. It's like when I, I don't mean y'all told you, I know you got to go, but it's like the Philando Castile thing where his mama went out on Facebook Live and a lot of people cringe. I said, she said, she had a right to say what she had to say. I don't mm-hmm. think it was wrong what she said because she, she was hurt. She lost her son. Right. And I don't care how, many, how much money they paid her, they can't get her son back. That's not justice. Right. That's not just because they knew they were guilty. The system knew it was guilty. That's why they had to pay her that money. But it's not going to bring exactly. her son back. So, I mean, you can't get justice. Like, you know, I, I tell people all the time, the devil is only more qualified. It's not qualified to give you mercy, only more hell. The devil mm-hmm. is not qualified to give you mercy. So stop begging. Exactly. <laughs> yes, sir. <laughs> mm. Mm. I, I, I want to say again, I, I so appreciate you, you, know, you calling me back and giving me this opportunity to, to talk about this, uh, letting folks know. But um, um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get up early. I told you there's some things going on with my family. I'm going to do some things. There's so much stuff going on. The, um, the enemy is busy, man, but I'm going to keep you prayed up with the ancestors. And they, they keep on protecting you and guiding you on this very important mission. So there's a lot of distractions out here. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I do appreciate that, and and, and thank for making and thank you so much for making contact. And you, you found us through uh, Dr. Randy Short, correct? Yeah, he pays out the email. Uh, you know, Randy Dr. Short be on it, and uh, I said, man, is he be? Yeah. Why are you not really talking about this? This is so important to me. And black folks leading this this charge, because really the change will come to us, because we are the people that shift the paradigm. We're the universal people. We're the alchemist people, right? And we don't even understand mm-hmm. how powerful we are. <laughs> mm-hmm. We the people that didn't make superheroes and comic books on. We the Wonder Woman yeah, and the exactly. Batmans and he's Superman. We don't know that though. We mm-hmm. the X Men. No, no, we don't know that. Yeah, we don't know that. But they base all this stuff on us. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They can't create no like Jesse Owens or no, or no, or no Mike. You know what I'm saying? We John Henry was a real man. But I'm saying like with us, I want our people to understand that it, it, it starts and ends with us. Yes, it does. It starts it does. and ends with us. That's about it. We the mm-hmm. Alpha Omega people. I have got to meet you, bro. <laughs> well, I'm about to come down. I'm, I'm so excited. I just said I gotta promote. I gotta do my part to promote this. But we'll, we'll work it. I don't know, man. You don't be surprised. You see me on the East Bridge, man. Don't be surprised. <laughs> okay. So All right. But like, well, is there any way online? Like, I didn't mean to cut you out. Is there any way online to reach uh, to get some more information on this? On the oh internet? yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, uh, TeachSociety.org. That okay. teach T E A C H society S O you know uh, S O C I E A T or I E T Y. We got it. We got it. We got it. Make it clear. Teach society dot org. Thank you so much, brother Kennedy. The words are great. The girl to be loved. You manly. Keep on producing the pushing, sir. Okay, and thank you again, my brother. Appreciate okay. That. My pleasure. Okay. God bless. Right. Good night. Good night.
With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.